This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. All right, well, we, uh, I think it's nine, it's ten, looks like ten seconds till 1025, assuming that clock is correct, so we will get started. Uh, let me make a few announcements, uh, shameless announcements. This, what we're doing today is actually extracted from a brand new book coming out in March called Never Shaken. Yeah, what does that say? Finding your footing when the world is sliding away. Well, that's irrelevant. But anyway, in case the world gets messed up, it's a, it might be a, I'm being obviously sarcastic, but it might be a, a helpful book. And Moody's putting that out, and that'll be out in March. And who's Daniel Henderson? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> this guy knows him. He knows him. He, he can tell you about him. Yeah. So anyway, uh, so you need your phone out so you can do all these QR codes, right? If you got paid for every QR code that you had to snap while you were here, you could go to a steak dinner, right? But here's a few more. This will pay for dessert maybe. But uh, every Monday we send out a Monday motivator, and we would love to send that to you. It's just a an opportunity to be enriched and encouraged, start your week off. Uh, I write a good bit of those. A couple of our staff people also help out. But it's a wonderful way to uh, begin your week, and we'd love to have you join us in that. Um, if, if you QR code or you don't have a smartphone, you know, maybe you brought your dial-up phone with you today, but um, you can just go to Strategic Renewal and find that as well. So that's one item, the Monday Motivator. Uh, what's next here? The next one is, oh, yeah, this is for pastors. So uh, while you're QRing, uh, you might want to snap that. And this is, uh, I know Craig's part of that and others. Uh, a global fellowship of pastors who are really resolute about committing themselves uh, more robustly to prayer and the ministry of the word. Uh, we always say we're every pastor's second most important network because we call them to their most important priority. Uh, we are here just to serve uh, other networks and denominations, tribes, groups, just to help them be more resolutely focused on the things that matter most. Um, and again, I say it all the time. I joked about this yesterday. You know, my tombstone. You remember this? Yeah, yeah. Remember this? I mean, yeah. Uh, it'll be on my tombstone that the devil doesn't have to destroy you. He only has to distract you. And that's why we're trying to help pastors overcome the weapons of mass distraction, right? So uh, speaking of the tombstone, if I repeat anything today, how many were in the seminar yesterday? All right, you're part of the Gluttons for Punishment Club. God bless you all. Uh, if I say anything that you've heard before, you just have to go like this, and that'll remind me, um, you know, that I'm repeating myself. Uh, my father-in-law, a little backstory. My father-in-law was a senior pastor for 50 years. When he retired, he um, moved to California where we were, and then eventually was hired by a guy named John Maxwell as his senior adults pastor. And when John Maxwell transitioned into more business kind of stuff, uh, David Jeremiah hired him as his senior adults pastor. So he was quite a prolific guy. But as he got older, he began to repeat himself and didn't realize he was doing it. I'm sure you don't know anybody who does that. Um, so we had a family signal. We would just go like this. And that was his clue to know you don't have to repeat yourself. We've heard this at least once, if not multiple times, you know. So one day after church, we were riding to the restaurant. I was driving. He was in the passenger side. And um, he got excited, hit me. He said, hey, did I tell you, this was back during the Gulf War, did I tell you there was a lady from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, sitting next to me in church today? Well, yes, he had already told me before. So I just went like this. And he looked at me and he said, you mean there were two ladies from Riyadh, Saudi Arabia? 
<laughs> I said, forget it. You can't remember the signal, let alone the fact that you repeat yourself. You know. Anyway, so feel free to give me this when you want to. But uh, oh, that's yeah, that'll be on my tombstone. The devil doesn't have to destroy you, but he does. Uh, it does want to distract you for sure. So hopefully that'll be of help. And we are doing a giveaway. If you signed up here for six four. Uh, one of our staff people will contact you and send you like you don't have enough books already from yeah. this conference, but we'll send you more and uh, be glad to do that. And uh, most of those are written by me. Uh, one of them will be, John, make sure we include Praying the Psalms in that, if you don't mind letting Amber know uh, the new uh, volume of Praying the Psalms. Um, uh, Praying the Psalms, by the way, is uh, all 150 Psalms in one volume, uh, seeing it through the lens of the Lord's Prayer and turn it's uh, being translated into about eight languages as we speak. Uh, none of that did we initiate. They came to us and said, can we get that in Spanish and French, Mandarin, Russian, Ukrainian, Farsi, Arabic? Uh, and so, of course, internationally, because we own it, it'll be available electronically. Uh, they can just get it for free. You Americans have to pay for it, but they can get it for free. Now, now if you move to China, we'll send you a free version, but for now, uh, you're going to have to pay, all right? Uh, anyhow, and then we have an app, and there's lots of things on there. I was just talking to someone at our booth. Um, his wife listens to what's called the Transforming Prayer Podcast, which is where um, I lead us in prayer for 10 minutes from a psalm again. And if you got up late and missed devotions, you can listen to that on the way to work and call it good for now, all right, or something. But uh, uh, that's kind of what we do and who we are and a little bit about our ministry, all right? So our workshop, Unshaken, uh, the practice and promise of integrity through unsettling times. Uh, we trust that this will be an encouragement to you. And before we jump in, would you join me as we pray, all right? So Father, in Jesus' name, by your Holy Spirit, thank you for the privilege of uh, life in Christ and of your grace that allows us to grow and to learn. Uh, to live pure and holy lives. And uh, uh, Lord, I know that uh, the soil here is saturated with uh, lots of life-giving uh, seeds of truth after these days. But I pray, Lord, that there will be a place for the things we share to find root, to bring forth fruit for your glory, and to help us in our ongoing journey to live lives that honor you and that testify to the gospel in such a way that will affect the consciences of men and women uh, and will adorn Christ and give us opportunities to share his life-giving message. So we commit this time to you now for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. Amen and amen. Thank you. A little nuance about me. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but uh, you may have picked up on this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I don't end my prayers in Jesus' name. And that, you know, most people think I'm a heretic for not doing that. Uh, because that's not actually what it means. To pray in Jesus' name is not adding three words at the end of whatever you thought to say. It is praying consistent with Christ, His character, His mission, His purposes. So I actually start my prayers, Father, in Jesus' name and by Your Holy Spirit, which then gives me cause for pause about what I'm about to pray, that uh, on the front end it will be aligned. And so usually when I wrap up, I say, for the sake of Your Son and His kingdom, or, you know, but... I don't know why I told you that. Maybe someone needed to hear it, but anyhow. All right. I am a little ADD. Um, I thought I saw a squirrel over there. Anyway. Uh, well, yeah, you did. So. All right. We're going to have fun, I can tell. All right. Uh, psalm 15. Let me read it. Uh, if you have a Bible, you can read it. You can just listen to it. It's a short psalm, uh, but I want to read this to you, and then we will jump in. It says, A Psalm of David, O Lord, who will sojourn in your tent? And who shall dwell on your holy hill? 
he who walks blamelessly, or um, actually my book was rooted in the NAS, so walks with integrity, does what is right, and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue, he does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. All right? By the way, I meant to say this. If you want the notes of what we're going through, it's... Is there a QR? Yeah, it's right there. Yeah, I guess most of you know that. So uh, if you did that, you can follow along, and now I guess then it's on your phone or your iPad or whatever, and, and you uh, can have these, or you can keep them for later. I don't know if you knew that or not, but uh, that certainly is an option. So there's a story behind this psalm, and uh, it's obviously written by David, so I'm not going to play any mental gymnastics with you. I'm going to be pretty straightforward. Uh, David had quite a story, didn't he? It was some 15 years from the time he was anointed to the time he became king, and that was about as straight a journey as uh, Lombard, Lombard Street in San Francisco. Uh, he was being chased and dogged by, by Saul, who wanted to obliterate him from the face of the earth. Um, obviously went through many trials, eventually was anointed as king. Uh, and that journey was a bit uh, circuitous as well. Obviously, he had the issue with Bathsheba. Um, he had uh, Tamar, who was raped by Amnon. Uh, eventually, Absalom kills Amnon, and Absalom then is estranged and uh, goes and lives with the maternal grandfather, I think it was. Um, <laughs> David has nothing to do with him. Eventually, one of David's generals says, David, would you let him at least come back to Jerusalem? So he did, but again, no contact. In the meantime, Absalom, who was the opposite of me, he was very handsome and had long flowing hair, uh, and was very, yeah, was very persuasive. The hair joke, I get it, yeah. Uh, was very persuasive and would sit by the city gates beginning to attract the hearts of the people and win them over to himself. And as you know, in an opportune moment, he took over the kingdom and David was on the run. Uh, it was a hard journey. There's a lot of emotion to that, a lot of struggle along the way. Obviously some guilt, realizing that some of this was the fruit of what he had sown in his relationship with Absalom and even in his own journey. Uh, at the same time, the, the pain of losing everything that your identity is attached to, uh, obviously your power, your money, your concubines, all the stuff that was his now was under the control of traitors and the lead uh, character being his own son. That's a tough situation. And as I say in the notes, in these circumstances, most people might suffer a mental breakdown. Some might cope by resorting to drugs or alcohol. Others would be devoured internally by raging anger and revenge. It might be natural to wallow in self-pity, regurgitating all the mistakes of the past. Some may even consider taking their own life to escape the pain. And I forgot to advance this, but there's the story. But what does David do? He sings. Isn't that interesting? He sings. For him, that was therapeutic. And the reality is Psalm 15 is a song that emerges from a very difficult time in his life. So if you're following along in the outline, if you have it, I want to talk about the composition of this psalm and the context of the psalm. All right? So the composition of the song, there are three parts. As David was inspired by the Holy Spirit to compose it, there's a question and there's an answer, a multifaceted answer, and there's a promise. Question, answer, promise. Pretty simple, right? Maybe that's why I like this psalm. I'm a simple guy. Uh, but it really uh, unfolds very clearly. 
Uh, but then the context of the psalm is very interesting. Some of you would be familiar with Kyle and Dalich, some uh, very renowned German scholars. Uh, they say it this way, that this psalm favors the time, and I don't want to get into the weeds, but I think it adds color to everything we're going to talk about. Uh, favors the time of the Absalomic. Uh, you want to say that with me just for practice? Absalomic. Yeah, Absalomic. There you go. Yeah, new word. Uh, exile, when David was cut off from the sanctuary of his God, while it was in the possession of men, the very opposite of those described in this psalm. So again, you're beginning to understand some of the emotion and the, the reality that has uh, filtered into this particular song that David sings. Uh, the tabernacle uh, erected, uh, I have this on here as well, I want to make sure. Yeah, the tabernacle, was, which was erected uh, to house the Ark of the Covenant and subsequently placed, they placed the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem, occurred right at 977 B.C. Aren't you glad you came to hear that, all right? But Absalom's rebellion took place the very next year, 976 B.C. In fact, David was leaving Jerusalem, escaping Absalom's uh, assault and the Levitical priests, if you know the story, removed the Ark of the Covenant from the Holy Hill in the midst of this rebellion. They took it out to David, and David instructed them to take it back to Jerusalem where it belonged and had previously been. All that to give us a timestamp on this psalm. Again, the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Hill in verse 1 are equated as being in the same place. Secondly, we know the chronology is such that after that, Absalom rebels. And then again, they try to take that same Ark from the Holy Hill to David, who is now in exile. And David says, no, take it back where it belongs. All that now adds color to the story, doesn't it, as we think about it. So uh, let's dig into this and kind of see what it ends with. And that is, first of all, I want to end where we where it, or start where it ends. And that is the promise. He who does these things will never be shaken. Say that with me. He who does these things will never be shaken. So when you think about the context in which David is writing, he really needed that promise. Uh, his world was turned upside down. His emotions were in turmoil. His family was a mess. His future was uncertain. Does that sound familiar at all to anybody or uh, any situations in our world? And yet God inspires him with a song that ends with this point of reassurance and this promise. He who does these things will never be shaken. So let's back into the psalm and, and, and talk about a little bit of this in just a moment. But uh, yeah, I wanted to say this. I forgot I had this in my notes. Uh, kind of unpacking that promise from a different perspective. Uh, David's son Solomon, uh, having witnessed the trials and triumphs of his dad, right? Our kids learn a lot just by watching how we deal with life, don't they? Of course, Solomon started off well. Unfortunately, he didn't end well. But uh, he would eventually art articulate the blessings of integrity. Maybe he had his dad in mind when he wrote these, and he reflected on the recklessness of his older brother Absalom probably at the same time. So what did uh, Solomon say about integrity? He who walks in integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will be found out. Well, if you're Solomon, there's probably a few names that come to your, your mind when you think about those principles, right? He also wrote the integrity of the right upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Wow. That adds some color to this part of David's story. He wrote, Also better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than he who is perverse in speech and is a fool. And then in Proverbs 27, A righteous man who walks in his integrity, how blessed are his sons after him. 
And so as we think about a psalm that you're going to see in a moment, the overwhelming thread through it all is integrity. I think that helps us understand how, uh, how um, relevant this is. So the promise is security, guidance, blessing, and a godly heritage. This becomes the enduring testimony of David's Psalm 15 moment and thus memorialized in a song that millions have cherished ever since. Uh, psalm 15, along with uh, Psalm 27, were identified as entrance psalms later in Israel's history. These would be psalms that they would sing and they would reflect on as they came into worship. And so not only was it a psalm written out of David's journey at a very difficult moment, it became a psalm that was really embedded in the culture of God's people as they thought about what it meant to really worship the Lord. All right. So let's look at the question now. Verse one, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? Think about the context. David is not at the tent. David is not at the holy hill. Instead, Absalom and his cronies are marching up and down that hill, desecrating David's concubines. He's obviously continuing to uh, amass to himself the loyalty and affection of the people. David is in the middle of nowhere. Now, if I was in that situation, I'd be asking some other questions, right? How can I get my kingdom back? How can I do away with this no good son? Uh, you know, I'd be asking a lot of self-oriented questions. Maybe you wouldn't. Yeah, I know all of you are way more spiritual than I am, but uh, uh, there'd be a lot of other questions resonating in my mind. But I think this is what makes David a man after God's own heart. In this horrible moment later in life when you're thinking, oh man, it should be smooth sailing from here to the finish line. Everything is once again in absolute turmoil. And what is it he's asking? Lord, who may abide in your tabernacle and who may dwell in your holy hill? Uh, to summarize, he's saying, as a sojourner, who's going to find a home in your presence? And who is it that will literally be comfortable and accepted in your holy hill? So to cut through all the, the, the uh, possibilities here, the bottom line, David is asking, Lord, who is for real spiritually? And Lord, what does it mean for me in this moment to be the kind of man who really knows you? I don't know about you, but that helps me when I'm in the midst of a struggle that I can't figure out. What is God wanting to do in my heart? He's wanting to bring me back to a place of worship, back to a place of personal self-examination, not pointing fingers at everything that's wrong with all the other guys, but asking God to help me look at my own heart in order to be a true worshiper. So that's where David begins with this question. It really is a matter of spiritual authenticity. It's a matter of self-evaluation, and it's a matter of great clarity about what God is really trying to accomplish in his life in the midst of this situation. So the answer is threefold, all right? If you want to outline this, you don't have a sermon yet for next Sunday, here you go. Feel free, all right? But the outline is threefold. There's personal, relational, and financial integrity. You probably picked that up as you read it. It begins with uh, God's answer to him about your own personal integrity, David. It goes then, and the bulk of the psalm, interestingly, is about relational integrity. Well, what a surprise. Why? Well, because relationships have just been exploded, right? And David, obviously, through his life, was not always an expert at managing relationships. But once again, God's bringing him back to what that needs to look like in his life right now. 
And maybe you're in a situation that's pretty tough and God's trying to help you realign your perspective about how you're relating to people in a way that's godly and Christ-honoring. And then, no surprise, uh, there is an answer related to financial integrity. So we're going to break that down and look at it and hopefully have a few minutes for some questions as we wrap up, all right? So uh, personal integrity, here's what it says. Read this with me, will you? He who what? Walks with integrity, works righteousness, and speaks truth in his heart. So I'll, I'll use my artistic skills here real quickly. I see this as three concentric circles. This one is how he walks, is how he works, uh, and how he speaks. I would say I don't speak in tongues, but I do write in tongues. So good, good luck interpreting that, right? Uh, but the outward observation of his life is he walks with integrity. Now, the word integrity, I did mention this yesterday, so you get ready here, those of you who are yeah. uh, literally is rooted in the idea of an integer, uh, which the simplest explanation, it's a life where all the pieces fit together, right? I mentioned yesterday in my own journey of following uh, moral failure twice in, in a large church and being the cleanup guy, as we said, the OSHA pastor, um, you know, that, that's the only way you really explain that over time. They compartmentalize their life. They separated certain kinds of their life from, they built walls between personal and public, between marriage and other behaviors, etc. And this word literally means he walks with integrity. His lifestyle is one where all the pieces fit together. There are no walls between the categories of his life, but there is a whole, a sense of wholeness in how he lives. But at the root of that, is that he works righteousness, all right? He works righteousness. I don't think I'm fast-forwarding my PowerPoint here. I get so caught up in the moment, but uh, here we go. Works righteousness, all right? So obviously there is how many righteous? Anybody know? None. None righteous, no, not one, right? And uh, in some of the other prayers David actually prayed at this time, he, he reflected on the fact that he had no righteousness of his own. So even then, he knew it required the Lord imparting to him the righteousness of God in this moment, allowing him to choose to think, to live righteously by God's power. Uh, if you, you have your notes here, there's a wonderful quote here. I think it's on the slide. Um, well, let me, yeah, let me give you this verse here and make sure my notes are aligned with my slide. Here's what the Bible says. We know it well. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as what? Righteousness. Just as David also speaks. See, here's David. They understand, as Paul wrote, what David also knew. Also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from work. So you got to understand, even David understood, this is not about my righteousness. This is about me asking God to do a work in me that only he can do by faith. And again, the battle of making right choices in the crucible of this kind of a crisis was very real for David. But again, he made that choice. I love what Malcolm Guide says. If I try to hold this psalm, referring to Psalm 15, up as a mirror, I see not my own face, but the face of my Savior. Isn't that beautiful? Only he can ascend that holy hill. And we'll have to ascend, I will have to ascend with him or not at all. So again, in this moment, David realizes, I've got to maintain a lifestyle of integrity. 
I, I can't allow any walls to be built between any parts of my life. I've got to be whole. To do that, it's going to require a consistent work of righteousness, of putting faith in God to produce in me the power to make right choices. And know how we need that in our lives. But then it goes down to this, and I really love this part of the psalm. And that is, he speaks truth in his heart. He speaks truth in his heart. Some of you know Psalm 51. Another time when David had to come to terms with uh, his own life, his own work, he covered up his sin with Bathsheba until Nathan pointed his long and holy finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man, right? But when he wrote that psalm, I love Psalm 51, verse 6. He says, Behold, you desire truth. Does anybody know that verse? In the innermost being. You know your Bible well, right? And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Well, David's having to learn that truth all over again now. Because if I'm going to have a lifestyle of integrity in the way I walk, and my works are going to be righteous by faith, then I have to be a man who speaks the truth in my heart. I often say the most dangerous lies we ever tell are the lies we tell about ourselves and to ourselves. And again, in this moment, easy to make excuses, easy to cast blame, easy to be consumed with anger, but instead... This is what you got to love about David's heart. I, you can't imagine how painful this moment must be, how uncertain things must feel. But he's saying, Lord, I want to be a worshiper. And what does that mean? God says, you walk with integrity, David. You do what's right by faith. And at the core of that, you speak the truth in your heart. Well, I know I need that. You know, the Bible, New Testament specifically warns us about self-deception. Be not deceived. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall, right? If anyone thinks he's righteous, he doesn't bridle his tongue, he deceives himself, and his religion is worthless. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, right? And the truth is not in us. So, uh, again, uh, we can't look at this from a distance. We've got to realize that every day we have to understand that if I'm going to live a righteous life, I've got to be truthful in my heart. Now, how do we do that? Obviously, we read the Word for ourselves, right? I hear a sermon for myself. How many of you ever said, man, I wish so-and-so was here to hear that sermon, right? Yeah. And then hopefully so, right? Or you, you read it. <laughs> I read a devotion. Oh, Lord, forgive me. And I, I post it on Facebook with some people in mind hoping they'll read it, right? And that's fine. We want to encourage one another, even if it's a little manipulative and devious. But anyway, what we really need is to speak the truth in our heart. And then out of that, God, by faith, allows us to make right choices. And the composition and compilation of that is a life of integrity. So very helpful to me as I think about all that David was facing, the passion he had, the questions he asked, and the first decision God brought him to, David, you've got to walk in personal integrity. Wow. Second thing is relational integrity. And as I've already mentioned, most of the psalm now deals with this. And frankly, you can't have relational integrity unless it's the overflow of your personal integrity. Uh, if I could just meddle for a moment, most of the problems in our relationships are in the mirror, right? Max, John Maxwell used to say, if I could kick the person responsible for most of my relational problems, I wouldn't be able to sit down for a week, right? Uh, the, the issue is often us, and we have got to just take a look again in the mirror of God's Word about how we're managing these relationships and even why they went awry in the first place, all right? So let's break it down. 
The first dimension of this relational integrity is how I speak about others. He does not slander with his tongue. Hmm. Can you think of anybody who's been victimized by slander in this story? Sure. David has. You know that Absalom had to be playing that card, right? Oh, David, you know, you, you know, he's this, or you can't, you know what he did to me, whatever the case is, right? And, uh, the, the Greek word for slander, as you know, is diabolos. Sounds a little bit like devil. yeah, the devil, right? And so it's the idea of footing it, literally. You say, what's that have to do with the tongue? Well, it's going around with a wagging tongue, saying things about other people that is harmful, it's destructive. And uh, obviously, James says the tongue is a, a fire, right? Yeah. And so the first thing David, God puts on David's heart is, David, watch your tongue. This is how I speak about others, if you're filling in the blanks on your little app or whatever. It's how I speak about others. Uh, so again, David's saying, now, all right, you're going to walk with integrity personally. Now, what's, here's your relationships. Guard your tongue, David. Wow, I need that. Maybe you do as well. Maybe we need to sing around to Just As I Am right now and uh, have a little prayer time, right? But it, it's uh, how he speaks about it. The second one, just in the interest of time, it's how I act toward others. Literally, nor does he do evil to his neighbor. So this is now my actions. Again, reminder, how is it David got into this mess? Some people were doing evil. And God's saying to him, David, that may work for others, not going to work for you. You can't retaliate. You can't take this into your own hands. You're going to have to trust me. And maybe that's why, you know, in the story, that's why maybe David said, don't, don't kill Absalom. Maybe God had done such a work of grace in his heart that there was no sense of revenge. As you know, the generals kind of took care of it, and Absalom's hair got him in trouble, which is why I'm grateful for my own hairline. But um, you know Romans 12. Let me just, yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. All right. <laughs> you know Romans 12. What's that? Oh, screen. Yeah, thank you. See, I get so caught up. Usually somebody else is running this for me, right? Uh, how I act toward others. <laughs> Romans 12, just to remind you, you know it well, but Paul unpacks this very same principle. Romans 12, 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. I was telling John at breakfast about my most painful journey in the ministry when I was young. Took over a church on the heels of uh, moral failure, a guy covered up for eight years, hurting people hurt others. There was a group of people who brought 51 allegations against the leadership. About eight of them were against me. We tried to answer them. They wouldn't accept it. We got a mediation panel. They answered them. They still wouldn't accept it. Uh, it came to a vote of confidence, uh, and the vote was overwhelming, and they finally left, and the church was at peace. Uh, maybe you've been in messes like that, but... Um, I tell you what, uh, we went to a counseling center for about two weeks, my wife and me just trying to salvage just because we were planning on getting out of ministry at that point. And I remember uh, with tears writing a poem, I told John about it called The Wound, where I realized, you know, if Jesus can hang on a cross and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Certainly, he being perfect, me not being perfect, I can certainly have that same thing in my heart. But then the Lord took it to a new level. Bless those who persecute you. No, I don't want to bless those people, right? How can I say, bless you, sister, bless, thanks for trying to ruin my life. Thanks for tearing up the church, you know. They probably need to be disciplined, actually. But in my heart, here's the point, in my heart, I need to be at the point where as far as I'm concerned, God can bless them. I'm not trying to control the outcome. I'm not trying to manipulate them. I'm not trying to, you know, put the spotlight on them and act like I just, I, I can release it, Right. 
And David said, God says to David, you don't do evil to your neighbor. Romans 12, 18 through 21. We'll just turn the knife a little further here, right? But impossible so far as it depends on you. Oh, impossible. I like that part. Live peaceably with all. Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. You know these verses. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, yep. if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God is burning that truth into David's soul in the midst of his pain. There's another part of relational integrity, what I receive about others. Ah, now it's really getting tough. He does not take up a reproach against his friend. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are some people whose motto, motto is... If you can't say something good about someone, let's hear it. Let's hear it, right? <laughs> There's an old proverb. You may be master of your tongue, but I'm also Lord of my ears. And the reality is, it's not just a matter of what we say, what we do. It's what we're, we're listening to. Because some of that stuff gets in your head and it doesn't help you or anybody. Remember I said the tongue is a fire? Well, here's a little strategy. Next time someone comes up to you and they got a little tidbit to say about someone, here's what you do. Fire! Oh, sorry. Anyway. Sorry, just joking. Um, I make you a promise. They will never come to you with gossip again. All right? Yeah. There's an old story Aesop tells about the four bulls. Maybe you've heard it. There's a lion, I'm paraphrasing, a lion who was really hungry, wanted some good steak dinner, but there were four bulls. He was no match for four bulls. So very quietly, he slink, slinked up alongside them, and he began to whisper in the ear of one bull, the other three are out to get you. They don't like you. They're going to take you down. Well, you know what happens. Bull number four just walks off and becomes a good steak dinner. Lion gets hungry again. Well, you know how it goes. He comes to bull number three, same thing, eats another bull. So we'll need point is, guard your ears, right? Guard what you listen to about people. And again, David's in this mess because people heard people say things about him and God is reminding him, David, this is what integrity looks like. You can't do it. How I associate with others and who eyes, who, whose eyes a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. You know, uh, it's a real challenge these days. The heroes our kids develop the people they begin to associate, the posters they put on the wall, the songs they listen to. Again, uh, you know, we drilled into our kids about, you know, bad, command, bad uh, companions corrupt good morals. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. And today, in, in this day and age, it's true for kids, it's true for us. There was a book written by uh, a man, uh, got his name here, Morris Massey called The People Puzzle. He was a Christian psychologist. He made an interesting statement. He says, who your children's heroes are at age 10 have a dramatic effect on what they choose to do with their life. And I read that later on, and I realized, just by God's grace, I took every one of my kids on a foreign missions trip when they were 10 years old. I didn't know this guy was stealing my material. But, uh, I did it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I realized, you know, that exposure to them, their heroes became a guy named, I get choked up thinking about this guy, a guy named Chris Marantika in Indonesia who had a vision for one, 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 one church in one village in one generation. 
my son Jordan, his hero became a guy named John Vetron, ministering in uh, Romania, planting churches, loving the Lord. My daughter was in Brazil seeing a young guy work with street children. And now all three of my kids are in full-time ministry, not because of me. You know, this is really important that we help our kids and we guard ourselves in the music we listen to, the things we watch, the, the affections of our hearts, that we literally are to a place where in our eyes, a reprobate is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. In my book, I pointed out the fact it starts with the eyes. And whose eyes? So we have to watch what we're, and again, in this day of technology, it is an all-out battle, but how important to get this principle embedded in the hearts of young people and in our own hearts in this day and age, right? Often we say, oh, there's no harm in, you know, going to this, listening to that, liking such. Well, David might tell you otherwise. And again, this whole thing exploded because of associations that were not godly. And uh, it's so interesting, the things in which, we could say David was victimized by God is turning into his victory by reminding him about what integrity really is. The last one is what I commit to others. Oh, now this is really hard. He swears to his own hurt and he does not change. Jesus said it this way. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. And you know, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees were trying to swear by any inanimate object they could find just to va validate their empty promises. And so, again, time is of the essence here. But the last thing is what I commit to others. That uh, I'm a person of my word. I keep my promises. I carefully guard what I commit to. But once I commit, you can count on me. Yeah. And so many broken commitments were woven into this narrative for David. And uh, what I love about what God does here, God just takes away all of his excuses and he puts in his heart the question that really matters. He defines for him the kind of life that really stands. He helps him understand the relational dynamics of it all. And then finally, just again in the extra time, is the financial integrity piece. There's a story of a, a young guy named Jason proposing to Susan. He said, Susan, I love you so much. I know I don't have the money that Steve Jones has. I can't buy you a new car like he can. I can't get you Nordstrom's charge card like Steve Jones can. I'll never be able to build you a new house like Steve Jones can. But I love you, and I want you to marry me. And Susan said, well, I love you too, and thank you so much for this proposal, but tell me more about Steve Jones. <laughs> Boy, money can play with our affections, can it? And our values. Uh, John and I were talking today, I, I said, you know, the most sensitive no nerve in the hum human body is the nerve between the wallet and the heart. And so David even has to be reminded, while there perhaps was bribe money paid in this process, perhaps there was some financial dealings that, that kind of eventually uh, emerged in this whole situation that David has to really guard how his money, first of all, goes out and how it comes in. I want you to see that. How my money goes in, out, he does not put out his money at interest. As you know, among the Jews, you could not charge interest to a fellow Jew. Why? Because the only time they would need money is in hardship. It's not because they're going to start some new, you know, get another uh, McDonald's franchise going. It's they just, they were in hardship. So money was always a means by which you served and helped others without any personal selfish interest. Obviously, in business with other countries, they were able to do that. 
But again, it's a matter of the generosity and willingness of the heart. And then again, there is this commitment to how my money comes in. He does not take a bribe against the innocent. All right. So I know we blew through that quickly. If you liked it, you can get the book later, right? But uh, this is my favorite song. And it has really helped me. And at times when it seems like the world is falling apart, or as the Moody gave the subtitle, the world is sliding away, I have to come back to the promise of a never shaken life. And again, here's how David ends it. Not he who thinks about these things, not he who takes notes at seminars, you know, but he who does these things will never be shaken. I want to just add one little caveat as we wrap up. There are a number of Psalms in, in the book. I'm able to discover those, and it was really fun. But here's another Psalm that at least Courtney, Kyle, and Dale, at you, I really think are very, very good scholars. Another Psalm that was written at this same moment in David's life. Let me read it to you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Oh, there it is again, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Hmm, now we think a little bit more about what that shadow could have looked like. I will fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So I don't know the chronology of all these psalms that he wrote during that crisis moment, but I would suspect early on God downloads Psalm 15 to his heart. And as he begins to see light on the horizon, God gives him a reminder, David, I will be your shepherd. And so we live in that promise. He who does these things will never be shaken. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. So, Father, uh, I thank you for the privilege in this moment of preaching to my own heart. And I am know with my friends here, we want to be people who speak truth in our hearts so that by faith we can live righteously through Christ so that our life will be a life of integrity. And even as we sat here today, if there are certain relationships that have come to mind, God, give us grace to respond biblically immediately, properly, to honor you, to bless others. Help us in our finances and the motives that often are very dark about what we do and why we do it with money. And Lord, help us to live by the promise of those who build their life, not on the sand, but on the rock. And when the storms blow and the wind comes, our house will stand because we have obeyed your word and lived according to your path. So uh, I pray that you would now preserve what we've heard. Help us to live it by your grace. For the sake of Christ, the honor of his name we pray. Amen, amen and amen. amen. Thank you. Bless you all. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.